Now for our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews. Very big topic, God is. When you think about the need to be strong in the faith, to be able to weather all of the different things that might come up into life, all of the different trials and tribulations that, that sometimes face us in life, you, you have to come to, to the point where you have to understand that there is an, there's, there is an anchor that you have to understand before you can actually come to that point. And that anchor, of course, is God. And if you can't prove God exists, if you can't prove that he is, then you have a problem with continuing in the faith. This, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, of course, is Hebrews 11, verse 6, and I think uh, I'll read it if uh, he puts it up there. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I've, I know I've read this many, many times, but I'm, I, I always want to emphasize how important this, this particular scripture is in our, in our daily walk with God. Because if we, if we don't really believe that God created everything, if we don't really believe that God is um, our Savior, that Jesus Christ actually walked on this earth, that everything that we read about God is just stories, because that's a lot of what people teach, oh, even through seminaries. Well, these are just good stories. And some, some preachers, they don't even really have the grounded faith to understand that God is. He exists. He exists in the, in the continuous time right now. And it's very interesting that that particular scripture should be very, very uh, dear to each and every one of us. We have evidence. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is a very interesting scripture. And if you'll put that one up there. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We take it for granted that we... we things that not seen, we take them for granted all the time. And you see this little light up here? We take that for granted, don't we? We turn that on, we turn it off, we turn it on, we turn it off. We, we probably don't think where that power comes from. It's invisible. We got a little light bulb in there, but that's not the source of the power that comes. That's just the end result. That little light is the end result of power that comes from the power company that's generated either at GRDA, uh, through a generator, or it's generated uh, through uh, coal, a uh, coal fire plant up there in, uh, um, in uh, Ulaga. Those are invisible things, aren't they? You can't see it. Now, you can feel it. Tony can tell you what it's like to feel it. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, it'll give you a pretty good jolt. And uh, so you, you, you can find out what it's like to feel it. So we have the evidence there's power there. We understand that. And so to come to understand God, we have to understand the power 
of who He is and how He has created things and the power that He, that he has in His creation. The, the first thing that we, we come to understand is God is a creator. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's so powerful. He created it all. <laughs> Sometimes we look at that and we think, wow, what, a, what an interesting thing. Power to create all, the, all that we see out there, all of that, that is out there, all of the physical universe. But God also, also has uh, something else that he's created, and that's you and I. In Genesis 1 verse 27, he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he man, or created he him, male and female created he them. And so from those words, we find out that there's only two genders, that God created those two genders. And of course, God also married Adam and Eve, so he created the first marriage. And we understand those basic things are so important to the groundwork of understanding who and what God is. Because God is a creator. In Isaiah 66, and we'll let me uh, put this, Thus said the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you have built unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. And of course it, says, it goes on, This man will I look, even to him that is poor and of contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. It's interesting that the first thing that we, that we come to really deeply understand is the creative power of God. And once we have that, that framework and that understanding, um, then we, we can believe what God writes. We can re believe the Word of God. Um, I, uh, Bridge and I and, and others have been into the intelligent design for for quite a while, and we, I, just, I just love it. I, I think it's so profound. Uh, and so I always, um, uh, whenever I turn to something like this, I always like to, to go grab a book somewhere. And um, this one here is uh, Understanding Intelligent Design. It's written by William Dembski and Sean uh, McDowell. And um, I've got a couple of things I would like to read out of it. Um, because Coming to understand the power of God's creation is also the ability of, of, of understanding the power of God. Because when you understand the depths of that, of, of God's creative power, you understand his, his, uh, his love and his, his uh, relationship to us. This, is, uh, this first one is, uh, uh, for those of you that remember Unlocking the Mystery of Life, this is the story of Dean Kenyon. Now, Dean Kenyon was a, um, uh, he, he was a biochemist. Uh, actually, he was a, 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 a chemical biochemist, and that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, he says, uh, I'm just gonna, this is at page 126 on this book. Given the daunting problem of explaining the origin of life, one might think that the origin of life researchers would be pessimistic by their prospects for a solution. But no, many scientists are convinced that Non-living matter can organize itself into life. That is, non-living nature has a mysterious inner capacity to produce life. 
Just as water organizes itself into hexagonal ice crystals, so matter is supposed to organize itself into life. Well, biology professor Dean Kenyon was once a key proponent of self-organization. His 1969 book, Biochemical Predestination, was widely viewed at that time as a convincing answer to the problem of the or life's origin. His idea was that the secret of life lay in the forces of the attraction that exists between life's basic building blocks. Stephen Meyer describes Kenyon's work as this, life might have been biochemically predestined by the properties of attraction that exist between its chemical parts, particularly between amino acids and proteins. Shortly after the publication of Biochemical Predestination, however, Kenyon began to consider, reconsider his position. One of his students gave him a published critique of the book. After pondering it for an entire summer, Kenyon renounced his position. Kenyon still saw natural forces as playing important roles in life's origin, but no longer did they seem sufficient to explain the information content in the proteins and DNA. In particular, he now doubted that amino acids could arrange themselves into a meaningful biological sequence on their own any more than scrabble pieces could arrange themselves into many, many meaningful sentences. And we've all kind of watched some things about that and you know how that you could just throw that up and supposedly monkeys can keep throwing these scrabble and finally you'll get something. But it doesn't, you know, it's um, we understand that there's these basic building blocks come from God. He says that um, Kenyon recounts his intellectual journey in the, in the video, Unlocking the Mystery of Life. It's an enormous problem how you could get together in one tiny submicroscopic volume of the primitive ocean all the hundreds of different molecular comp uh, components you would need in order for self-replicating cycle to be established. And so my doubts about whether amino acids could order themselves into meaningful biological sequences in their, on their own without pre-existing genetic material being present just reached for me the intellectual breaking point near the end of the decade of the 70s. And so um, he reneged, um, and it was a very large book with an awful lot of information that he renounced. And then the other thing. Um, I was sitting there as I was meditating on this and thinking about it. Now, God is the original, he's the original inventor. All we're doing is just discovering stuff that God's already invented. Now, God already uh, took uh, and put all this stuff together many, many years. He's got the, the original materials. Uh, we look at the uh, um, computer and we think, wow, that's sure a fancy thing. But all of the materials came out of the ground or were manufactured from things that are already in existence, that God had already created. All we did is just discover how to put them together. Well, also, he's a great programmer, the greatest programmer, far greater than any programmer that we have on Earth. Because instead of using um, zeros and ones, which uh, we use for computers, most people don't realize how, how basic computers are. They don't understand anything but on and off. You know, it's a complex on and off, but it's all it is, is on and off. And you get lots of on and offs, and you finally get some logical information after the programmer has, has put it in. Well, God has created a very complex 
program called DNA. Modern biology is the science of information. With the discovery of the structure of DNA in 1953, scientists came to understand that the information for organizing protein is encoded in four nucleotide bases. Um, Gynine, I hope I'm pronouncing these right, I think I'm probably not, but adenine, thiamine, and uh, cytosine. So that would be, these four letters are, uh, and they use these four letters, G, A, T, and C, in the um, DNA sequencing. These four basic bases function as letters of an alphabet, uh, which is why biologists commonly refer to DNA, RNA, and proteins as carriers of information. They have information in them. Thus, the key hurdle for origin of life researchers is to, is to overcome, is to explain how, that, how the information, specify complexity in living organisms, could arise through material causes. The information storage capacity of DNA far surpasses even the most powerful electronic memory systems known today. Molecular biologist Michael Denton notes that for all the different types of organi organisms that have ever lived, the necessary information in their DNA for the construction of their proteins could be held in a teaspoon. <laughs> God's also a micro-miniature uh, expert. I mean, he, he can write down, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's so wonderful. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when you start studying God's creation and all what he has done. It's just unbelievable. Um, and and there, uh, let's see. Let's see if we can find uh, information. Here. Uh, uh, so, but DNA does not uh, just store information. In combination with other cellular systems, it also processes information. So Bill Gates likens DNA to a computer pro program, though far more advanced than any software humans have ever invented. DNA sequences code for biologically significant sequences of amino acids, proteins, so we can accurately describe their coding as messages. In fact, a close connection exists between the information content of DNA that encodes proteins in the sequences of alphabetic letters that convey meaning of the written page. ID theorist Stephen Meyer describes the connection this way. Just as alphabetic letters in a written language may perform a communication function depending on their sequence, so, too, might the uh, nuclear tie basis in DNA result in the production of a functional protein uh, molecule depending on their precise sequential arrangement. Just as humans can tell the difference between nonsense and meaning, so can the cell discern the difference between a random sequence of DNA bases and, and, and a message. <laughs> they are, it is very complex. Very interesting, very profound, what God has done. And we live with it every day. We don't think about it. It is a part of our life. Those cells are, are doing their little job. They're running around and, and uh, the factories are working and they're con constantly doing their little, little, little thing. And we never think about it uh, until we go and study what, what they found out about, uh, about life and, and how life uh, um, exists and how God has created that life. We learn in John the, the so, um, maker created all things, and he, God is. God is many things, and we're going to study a little bit of that today, not a whole lot, we're going to study a little bit of that today, about what God is. So, in John 4.24, uh, 
Um, he is uh, a spirit. That's the first thing we learn. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we, I know I mentioned that once before, but that's, that's an important part of our, our start on our learning of, uh, and understanding uh, who God is and the basis for uh, our continued faith in God and, and our looking to God is we must understand that he lives in the spiritual realm. He's created the, the physical, but he lives in the spiritual realm along, with, of course, with Jesus Christ and all the heavenly angels. And it's a powerful and, and wonderful thing. Um, and someday we'll be with him. In, um, uh, we, we learn that also that he, uh, he's not a man. He's not the, and, he, and he's also uh, not the respecter of persons. Let's turn to Acts, the 10th chapter. I'm going to go ahead and turn over to there. I'll read these. And so all have the opportunity to be um, in God's kingdom. He's opened the door through Jesus Christ. And it is a marvelous thing that God is doing and the work that He's doing on this earth. Acts, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 34. He says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I think that's very important to understand. But every nation... He that fears him and works righteousness accepted with him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say to you, know which was published through all Judea and began from Galilee after the uh, baptism which John preached. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed um, of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So there was this powerful witness that, that helping them to understand that it was open now for all to come to these understandings throughout the ages. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, he which is, was ordained of God to be the judge of living and the dead, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, Whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. So while he was preaching, the Spirit was given to these Gentiles to help Peter to understand that this message was to go out to all mankind. It was no longer just for the Israelitish nations and the Jews, although they're a part of it, but it was for all of mankind. And God's plan then began to expand. So God teaches us some basic things. And those things that He's teaching us is how to how to approach before him, how to love what he's doing in our life. The, the first one I've got here is God is our refuge. And David, as the 
earlier message pointed out, as Mark pointed out, David had a, a way with the words about God. And a lot of what um, I have today to, to bring um, is in the Psalms, but not all of it. So let's look. Psalm 46, 1 through 4. This is, uh, this is the chief musician, the sons of Korah, a song uh, upon Elamoth. Uh, I think that's how that's pronounced. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, and there is a river, the streams thereof shall make the glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall, be, um, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. It's interesting here. With God as our refuge, God is the strength that we have. When trials and tribulations come on, especially deaths in the family, you need that strength. You need that refuge to go to. You need to be able to seek that refuge. And you need to understand that God can comfort even in those times, the trials and tribulations in our life. We have to seek after God during those times. We have to believe that God is there and that He is ready to comfort us in a trial that might come up like that. The death of a loved one or even the death of a child. 62 verse 8, Trust in Him at all times. You people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And that's what happens. We do when we hear of tragedy and it comes close to our family. Our heart pours out. Both to the person that's having the problem, their heart is there. But also our, our heart pours out to God to, to bring that comfort that they need. That refuge that they need. Because it can be very difficult for that person to go through. God is our defense. I think uh, you know, he, has, he, he, he will defend us at any time. In verse, uh, chapter 59 of verse 9. Because of his strength, I will wait upon you. For God is my defense. Sometimes in trials and tribulations, and especially if we're we're being put upon by other, you know, something that uh, might be a, a problem. We need to seek out God as our defense and ask Him to defend us against certain things. God, uh, David was always asking God uh, to defend him against enemies. I mean, he had a lot of enemies, and he was always going to God and asking Him, please, please help me through this because these enemies are around me, beseeching me, and I'm having so much problem with them. And he was always praying to God to help him to get through them. In verse 17, to you, O, o my strength, I will sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. He's, he's our defense. He's the one that we can go to and ask for help. Even children, you know, they need to go out. They reach out uh, to God and ask for a uh, you know, time when they, they need help um, in school or different things to, to defend, not to, not to be... Um, uh, 
bullies, but to, to ask God to help them through certain tribulations and times in their own, uh, in their own uh, school situation. Uh, God is a judge in, in Psalm 50. And see, we don't have to go very far to find out what God is. God is a judge in, in verse, verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Salah. In other words, think about that. God's, God's not, I think sometimes we think of God as just sitting on the throne and not doing anything. <laughs> so it's one of those things that we, we see and we think about that. And yet, whenever we, we read about um, God sitting on that throne, there seems to be lots of activity going on around him in there. Heavenly angels just coming and going, and there's always lightnings and thunders, and the, there's a rainbow, and there's just like it's a, just a tremendous amount of activity there. And there's just the powerful uh, things going on. So God is constantly uh, probably both creating and, and thinking in, uh, into the future and judging and continuing to judge and, and watching over his people and doing all of the things because God is God. God is God. God has the power to be able to do all of that and continue in that. And so we understand that, don't we? We understand that God has that power. In Psalm 75, also in the Psalms here, God is, verse 6, for promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another one. If you remember the, uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, you know, Daniel told him, he says, well, <laughs> God takes care of those things. Of course, ne then, then Nebuchadnezzar finally realized, yep, God is the power to set up kings and take them down. He can put them in and he can take them out. He has that power. He says in verse 8, and I didn't put this one down, but it says, for, God, uh, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup and the wine is red, is full of mixture. He pours it out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to God, of the, the God of Jacob. So God is judge. God also is salvation. You know, he sent his son, that we might have salvation. But also... In the Psalms, we go back to, let's go to Psalm 62 and verse 7 here. God is my salvation. God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. When we come fully around to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we accept God the Father, and we accept Him in our own personal life, we have to understand that also He becomes our salvation because He gives us His Spirit. That Spirit quickens us. That's the salvation that, that we have. He also forgives us of our sins, so there's remission of sins. He, all of those are saving things that God is doing in our life. He is a, a rock. And something we can build on and be stabilized on and be strengthened by. And we live in a very, it seems like, um, a society that has very little moral um, uh, 
a very little moral compass. I think that's the newest way that the people are using, moral compass. There's very little moral compass out there. <clears throat> you know, compasses always point to the north. Uh, they, um, unless you're, of course, I think in the South Pole or something like that, and it points somewhere else. But uh, it always points to the north. So you, you get a compass, and, and that little needle will always be pointing to the north. Well, it seems like in the society that we live in today, the, there's, there's no north-pointing morals. There's no one that's really pointing back strongly to the Word of God, except a few who really still believe that this is the, the true Word of God and that it ought to be preached and taught and learned and understood and grounded in, and that it becomes the moral compass for all of us. So we have salvation and glory and the rock, that we can, we can um, you know, be grounded in, and it becomes a refuge for us. It becomes a part of our, um, uh, that we can, we can uh, go to uh, in any time that we need to go to God. In Isaiah, the 12th chapter, Isaiah also has a beautiful, these are all just a few verses here. This is six verses, but they are so, so beautiful. And in that day you shall say, O Lord, verse 1, I will praise you, Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comforted me. Now, sometimes when we sin and we wonder if, if God will come back and, and you know, bless us and, and give us strength and be with us, and we, we, should be, we should understand that God loves us. And he, he, he really wants to, to, to be close to us and comfort us. He doesn't like our sins, but he loves us. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. I love the, you know, we come and we sing to the Lord on the Sabbath. We come and we praise God. We, we raise our voices. Sing to the Lord. For He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out, shout, you inhabitants of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. We have salvation in the Lord. God also is to be greatly feared. Now, that fear is deep reverence and respect. Um, and we understand that. And of course, if we go against God, we know also that there are, is that um, only looking forward to that day and um, the fiery indignation. But we all hope and we, we look that uh, God will bless us with eternal life. In Psalm 89, in verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. That's what we are. But the word feared is actually to be revered or be reverenced in the, in the, in the assembly of the saints, which is what we are, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Now, the, the holy angels praise him, and, and they come and they praise God, and, and he's, hev he's holy. And he tells us to be holy. And so we are 
uh, to reverence Him and to understand His uh, His plan in our life and and to be and to be holy. God is also faithful. We know that. We know that He holds covenant. Man tends to break covenants. God keeps His covenant. First Corinthians, the, the first chapter in verse nine. God is faithful by whom you were called to the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I I don't know that I had any more verses, but I might read just a little bit. And I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And for it has been declared to me of my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, um, and he said that to, to bring the church together and to make it strong. But God is faithful in, in, in everything that he does. So whom you are called to the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, God is light. We understand God is light. First John 1. 1 John 1. And verse 5. He says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. uh, He shines brighter than the sun. Power of God is there. It can be tapped like the power of electricity can be tapped. We can can go reach out and grab it through prayer and through our understanding of God and we we can be strengthened through the power of God. He says, if we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, there's, there's power in the, in the light of God and in, through Jesus Christ. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And and I might read just this one. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, and that's Jesus Christ with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. Not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For the sins of the whole world. That's, that's the light that Jesus Christ brought to this earth. That God was beginning to work with mankind. That he was, he was branching out from, from those that were his people, Israel, the Jews. And he was going to call Gentiles. And the world was going to hear about the, the message of God. And back in, in John... We find this in John, the, 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 the first chapter, beginning in verse 7. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. That was John. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Here the light from God came down onto this earth, walked on this earth, and they rejected it. They totally rejected Jesus Christ. Not only rejected him, but took him to the, 
to the stake and killed him. But he says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we see how powerful uh, God is. God is light. And sometimes we don't, we don't really perceive the, <laughs> the, the strength in, in light and how powerful it is. You know, the sun, when it shines, it gives energy to the earth. Well, God is far more powerful than any sun. He's created all the universe. And so he, he's, the, he's the power that keeps things in motion, that keeps things going. In 1 John, and the last part, the most important, one of the more important things that we, we really need to understand when we come into God's way of life, something that is so important for us to understand about it being his children. And, and that's beginning in verse, uh, I think I'm going to, I have verse 6, but I think, um, maybe I might start in verse 1, uh, 1 John 4, verse 1, and read a, a lot more. I have a little bit more time. So, beloved, believe not every spirit, verse 1, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are come out of the world. Hereby know we that uh, you, uh, know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every sp spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is, is that spirit of, of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and, and we believe that, that the, the spirit that dwells in us, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Father that dwells in us, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of, a spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. God, this is, this is the basic thing that we, that we grasp when we come into this way of life, and we, especially those of us that have lived in this for many, many years. We come to understand that God truly is love. He, he puts up with a lot of things from us, doesn't he? A, a, a lot of human nature that God puts up with his children that he loves because God is love. And this is manifest the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. This is an atoning sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you and I and for all of the world. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, and if we love one, one another, God dwells in us. His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and 
he and God. And you know, we come to understand that, don't we? As we as we grow with the Spirit in us, we come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that He has a tremendously powerful position in that in the kingdom. And someday He is going to come back and we're going to hear the trumpet call. We're going to be in that kingdom. And those that have been that have had that spirit will hear that call that have been that are in the grave, and they will be resurrected. And those that are still alive, they will also be changed, twinkling of an eye. And we'll all be together, and we'll be working together because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of the love of God, because of what God is doing uh, and His plan that He has for all of mankind. It's, it, it is so plain in His Word that He is in love with His creation, is what it amounts to. And he wants children. And he loves children. And he wants them to be in his kingdom. Back to the word here. Beloved, verse 11 again, if, uh, uh, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know, it, it is a part of the function of God for salvation. And He sent His Son to do that, to be the Savior of the world. He says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in Him, and He in God. So we have that. As part of our, what we understand from the Word. And we know and believe the love that God has to us. God is love. Twice that is said. God is love. He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in Him. So it's so very important to understand these scriptures because John wrote them for us to, to comprehend the love and the power of God. Part of that light and part of that understanding, part of the basic things that we should know is the love of God towards uh, each and every one of us. He says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that, he that fears is not made perfect in love. Now we Sometimes we... Punish ourselves, don't we? Because we, we fear certain things and we fear um, making certain um, um, movements and judgments and things. And, 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 it, it, and, it, and it can bring on fear. But God says that the, we replace that with love. Replace that with a, a loving heart, a loving attitude. And, and um, He says that we love Him because He loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, verse 20. For he that loves not his brother whom he hath seen. How, how in the world can he love God whom he's not seen? And I know I've said this many times, and, uh, and, and I was uh, actually uh, moved to this by uh, uh, Dr. Ed Wheat many, many years ago when I first picked up one of his books on, uh, um, on marriage. And he pointed to this out, and he pointed... And how can uh, you know two people who live together and call themselves husband and wife 
not have this particular love for one another, especially if they both are baptized and, and, and have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He says, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, well, who, who's the closest brother that we have or our sister? And that would be, uh, if you're married, it would be your wife. And, of course, your children and your, and the, and your close relatives and all of that. But that, you know, it's interesting that, that we, we could practice the love on our mate. He says he's a liar, for he loves not his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God, that he who loves God love his brother also. It comes down to the fact that God is love. Uh, and that's the reason why I always leave it for the last, because it's the mo- it, it seems like that this is what God has always wanted. He, he, he was always wanted to show forth that he, he is love. But, you know, he has laws for the, for the very purpose of, of um, keeping us safe and um, keeping us in, in, in his law and his, his commandments, because we understand that those, those are good for us. And, and so... With all that he shows in the Bible, and especially for those who are somewhat new in this way, all that he shows in the Bible to, to understand the love of God is the, some of the most important things. But God is. And, and it's an interesting study. So anyone that wants to do that, they can get Cruden's Concordance. I, I love Cruden's. Uh, Lawrence gave me a Cruden's Concordance years ago. About ready, I, 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 I pulled it out again and uh, cover's about ready to fall off. <laughs> You can't find the, 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 that one anymore. It's, um, it's very difficult to find it. It's made out of leather, and it's a really nice one. I've got, a, I've got another one, but that Cruden's Concordance, I've about worn it out. But in there is God is love, or God is. And, and you can go through and you can find out all of the things that God is, and there's a lot more than what I've put today.